within the context of church, we believe in two things. We do believe in headship, but we also believe in gift recognition. And, uh, and so Karen's going to be preaching this morning. One of the, uh, yeah, that's right. There we go. Just, just know that I know who woohooed, so I'm going to be looking for that. Um, the reason that she's preaching is because she's one of the gifted teachers that we have in the context of this community. And even though we believe that the diet of preaching should come through elders, from time to time we will have non-elders come and preach, and she'll be one of them that will do that. Um, it's my privilege to pray for her and let her loose. That's quite a big, uh, I know. Okay. <laughs> Take it easy, though, Okay. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for this woman. Um, I want to thank you for the gifts that you have placed within her. But more than that, God, I want to thank you for the power and preciousness of your word. I want to thank you that your spirit is alive in her, but your spirit is alive in the, in the preaching and teaching of your word. And I want to pray that we would submit ourselves to your word this morning. I want to pray that you would use Karen to be faithful to your word. And I want to pray that, um, that the ultimate end reality... Um, of her preaching would be a greater picture mm. of the kindness and greatness of mm. Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. Wow, we've never been so fancy in our whole lives, right? It's like, it's like first class up here. <laughs> so I've heard. <clears throat> you know when you walk through, you can see. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so, um, so we get to continue in our um, study of Philippians Nick started us off last week. We've looked at it a couple of weeks. We started in Acts. We saw how uh, Paul planted the church there and then how he's writing this letter to them, which basically is just a thank you letter. It's a, it's a wonderfully long and um, winding thank you letter that has been transformed by the gospel. But that's exactly what it is. And so today we pick up um, for the second um, in Philippians and we're reading chapter 1 verse 12 through 26. I'm reading from the ESV, which should be the version of the little, this thing, if any of you got those. So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul basically starts this little chunk, and he's telling them that what has happened to him, his imprisonment, has actually advanced the gospel, which they would have been concerned that it wouldn't have, right? Here's this traveling preacher who is now locked down in jail. And you would think, well, that's the worst possible thing that could happen for the gospel. But God, in his sovereignty and his power, has actually turned it to advance the gospel because he now has an audience with the imperial guard that he wouldn't have had otherwise, and he's preaching to them. These guys are chained to him. They're hearing the gospel all the time. And because of his imprisonment, other people are emboldened to preach the gospel in their sphere. And he says some of them are doing it for for bad motives, and that's okay. He's not so worried about the motivation. All he's worried about is that the gospel of Christ is proclaimed, and that Christ uses whatever our circumstances or our suffering looks like to advance the gospel. Um, And then he talks about, which is just this key, key part, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So basically he's saying, I'm... I'm in a win-win situation here because he's facing the possibility of being executed or the possibility of being released. So his life literally is in question right here. But he's saying to live is Christ. If I live, I get to continue in fruitful labor for Christ. If I die, I get the ultimate gain and my biggest heart's desire to be with Christ. Um, And so that's what... I mean, this is such an incredibly rich passage, right? <laughs> you know, oh my goodness, where does one start? So I'm trying not to content dump while it's still appeasing my inner five. And we'll see how we go. <laughs> um, so we're just going to look at two main points today. That's it, just two. We're going to be okay. And these two points are Paul's greatest hope and his, his deepest desire. What make his heart beat? And that is that the gospel would advance and Christ would be honored. So those are our two main things. Those are the two greatest desires of Paul, and they should be ours too. Do you know that in the first chapter of Philippians, Christ is mentioned 18 times, and the gospel six. Tells you a little bit about what beats in him, right? And it is kind of hard to separate the gospel from Christ. I understand that, because the gospel is the news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the person and work of Jesus Christ is displayed in the gospel. So they're very, very intricately linked. But we're going to just parse them out today. So the first one, we look at the first chapter, I mean the first chunk in this chapter, which is verse 12 through 18, that the gospel would advance. And in this, Paul is looking at his chains. He's looking at his current imprisonment, and he's able to rejoice because he's seeing this as an opportunity for the gospel to spread. So if the gospel is spreading and we are wanting to advance the gospel, let's just take a minute and remind ourselves of what the gospel is. We've sung it so beautifully this morning, John, thank you. We just rehearsed the gospel over and over and over again this morning. And the gospel is basically that God loved us so deeply that he sent his own son who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He ransomed us and he restored us legally and relationally. We were enemies of God, he made us friends. We were lost, he made us found. We were orphans, he made us children. We were slaves, he made us co-heirs. We are completely 
restored and redeemed in, in all of those things. And it's, the gospel, the word actually means good news. You, you know that. I'm just reminding you of things that you know. So it means good news. And Spurgeon says it this way, just wanting to find different ways of reminding you of what it is that the gospel um, <clears throat> is about. And he says, have you ever known what it is to be fully absolved, to stand before God without fear, accepted in the beloved received as a dear child, covered with the righteousness of Christ. Have you ever known that? If so, the gospel has indeed been good to you. And it's good news because God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he did it for us when we didn't even know it needed doing. He did it when we were in full-blooded rebellion. He made a way to rescue us. And it's good news because it's a scandalous message of mercy. The gospel is also glorious. Paul says it's a glorious gospel because it reveals all of God. Every attribute of God is manifested in the gospel. You know, when, when Moses asks to see God's, God's glory and God hides him in the cleft and lets him see his back, we don't get to just see the back of God anymore. We get to see the face of God. We get to see the fullness of God because who he is is revealed to us in the gospel. It's glorious because it comforts our souls. In our deepest and darkest of moments, it's the gospel that brings comfort to our souls. And it's glorious because ultimately it will transform us and transfer us into glory itself. So this is the gospel. And he is saying he wants the gospel to advance. So how does the gospel advance? Let's look. It advances internally, and it advances externally. So internally in me. How does the gospel advance in me? And we're going to borrow from verse 25. He says, for your progress and joy in the faith. So the gospel advances, bless you, by progress. <laughs> so any progress that you have made in Christ-likeness, any victory over sin, any gain over selfishness is the power of the gospel applied through, Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus did applied to the Holy Spirit. That's how we progress. And it comes from, we progress by believing the gospel again and again and again. And that's why it's so important to rehearse it to ourselves. That's why it's so important to find ways to phrase it and re-say it and restate it because we have to believe it again and again and again. And there are so many ways that the gospel advances, so many ways. But just looking in the book of Philippians, some of the ways that he says the gospel um, advances is when we remember to love each other and so stand together as one. That's the way the gospel advances in me. When we remember to consider others before ourselves and to do so with humility, that's an advance of the gospel. When we remember to be thankful and to do things without grumbling or complaining, that's an advance of the gospel. When we remember what is of ultimate importance, and focus on the prize. That is an advance of the gospel. Now, it works out differently in each one of us, right? Because we, we start at different points. Each of us have our own proclivities, our own tendencies, our own weaknesses. So it looks a little bit different in each of us. So if we look at the points of considering others, for some of you, that means you need to talk less. <laughs> for me, that means I need to talk more. <laughs> it does. 
It means I need to share a little bit more of who I am because that's important to people. So we're both considering other people, but it works out differently in us because of our proclivities and our tendencies. So we can't all look at the same benchmark and say, well, I'm talking plenty, I'm fine. You know, that might not be your, your adjustment, but um, we are all making adjustments to get that, that end of the gospel advancing. And then, so it makes progress in us, and then also joy. God is so incredibly kind. He doesn't only want us to progress in our Christ-likeness and in our Christian journey, but he wants us to do so with joy. He wants our joy to be increasing and abounding. Um, and it's a supernatural attitude. Joy is a supernatural attitude that comes from having confidence in God's sovereignty and in God's power. And it's interesting that both our progress and our joy are dependent, they're contingent on whether Christ is our primary passion or not. I'll try it. <laughs> it all came out of my mouth. Okay. So our progress and our joy are contingent. They depend on whether Christ is our primary passion or not. So if Christ is our primary passion, then our progress in the gospel goes and our joy in the gospel goes together. So it advances in me. It also advances in my sphere. So it advances externally. And that's, this is, we look at proclamation and confirmation. So first of all, Paul is proclaiming the gospel and he's rejoicing that the gospel is being proclaimed. Proclaimed is what you think it is. It's heralding, preaching, making something known publicly, plainly, openly. That's what it means. It's, it's opening your mouth and saying. And it's telling people a message that they might not have heard. <clears throat> and Paul was passionate about the preaching of the gospel. He was very passionate about it because it, was, it is what God had called him to. In Acts 9, I just love this story. There's a man called Ananias, right? And he um, is told by God to go to Paul and pray for him that he might receive the Holy Spirit. And, so, and he's like, God, are you kidding me? This is the guy that's killing Christians. And God says to him, go. He says this in Acts 9, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And I think a lot of the proclaiming and the, the rewards of Paul actually will come to Ananias as well, because he was faithful in doing what God told him to do. Ananias said, yes, God, I will go and tell this man. And then this man went and told all those people. And that's what we have to do. We just have to go and tell in our sphere. And so Paul is passionate because somebody came and told him. And he's also passionate because unless we tell them, how can they know? In Romans 10, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They can only know if someone tells them. He's, he's passionate about this. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. So put a pin on this one. We're coming back. So pro proclamation of the gospel. But then he says he's also here for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. So proclaiming is telling the gospel. The defense or the confirmation of the gospel is living in such a way as to confirm the message that people have heard. So it's two ways. You get to speak it, and then you get to confirm it by the way that you live. It's making an effort to show that the gospel is true. It's clarifying, it's explaining, it's validating the gospel. And let me tell you that Paul's 
current situation has opened up a sphere to him that he would not otherwise have had. He had wanted to come to he had wanted to come and preach the gospel. Sorry, I'm trying to not tell you which city it's in because there's contention about that. So he wanted to come and preach the gospel. And uh, he has an audience with people, this, this guard that he's chained to, who are people of incredible significance and influence. Um, and so this fear is now open to him. And he's in a place that he probably wouldn't have chosen to be, right? I'm pretty sure he didn't voluntarily say, yeah, lock me up here for years. But he, in that, as that sphere was open to him, he took it. And I would like to just ask you today, where are you in a place not of your choosing, and how can you be the agent of the gospel advance in that? Where are you in a place that you wouldn't choose to be? And how can you advance the gospel? For me, Sorry, I don't. Uh, for me, part of my sphere right now. Shoot, <laughs> is in a sherbet. <laughs> is in a memory care facility. Both my folks have Alzheimer's, and we've had to put them in a place where they need care. It's not what I would have chosen, but I have a sphere that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I don't know how it all works. I don't. There's people that they, they can't understand things anymore. But God is bigger than that. God is bigger than any disease. I don't know how to explain it, but I know that when I walk into that place, I carry the gospel with me. And I can walk in there and I can look people in the eye and I can remember their name. And I can be kind and listen to them while they tell stories that make no sense. Because that is a sphere that God has opened to me. And I have to see how I can advance the gospel in that sphere. <clears throat> Thank you, Neil. The second is that Christ would be honored. So this is his second heartbeat. Uh, your heart beats lub-dub, lub-dub. <laughs> the first one is gospel. The second one is Christ honored. And he, he, this is his other heartbeats. And we're looking at verse 19 through 26. And here Paul looks at his impending trial. He's going to be put on trial. And he looks at it and he says, I can rejoice because it's an opportunity for Christ to be honored. So what is honor? Well, honor is, it, uh, synonyms for it are like to exalt, to glorify, to make much of, to throw a spotlight upon. Um, it's, Murray says, to give God glory is to reckon God to be who he is and to rely on his power and his faithfulness. So it's just, in every circumstance, pointing back to Jesus. That's what it is. And how can we bring him glory? Well, there's a couple ways, and um, again, we're just going to look at a few. We can bring God glory by having faith. Faith brings God glory. <laughs> When we are fully convinced that God is able to do what he says he can do, God gets glory. We can bring him glory by fully enjoying him. C.S. Lewis says this. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. 
God commands us to glorify him because it's for our greatest good. We will only be complete and content when we are glorifying God. We can also bring him glory when we fulfill our mission, when we accomplish that for which God has prepared us for. Jesus says at the end of his life, God, I have glorified you by, by accomplishing that which you sent me to do. And we get to do the same thing. We get to fulfill our mission. Remember that pin we put in here a minute ago about preaching and declaring the gospel? Well, it's easy to look at somebody like Paul and say, well, he had a clear mission. Somebody came to him and told him that it was your mission to carry the name of, of Christ before Gentiles and kings. But guess what? There was something called the Great Commission in which we are all sent to declare and display the gospel. That is the calling for each and every one of us. We are told to go and proclaim the gospel. We're told to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. Paul preached the gospel because Jesus preached the gospel, and we do the same. That is our mission for every single one of us. Not one of us is exempt. And that thing about suffering that, <laughs> that Paul was going to have to go through as well, well, that's coming for us too. It is. We live in a fallen world. We have an enemy of our souls. And suffering also reminds us that this is not our home. And scripture tells us not to be surprised. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard when trial, in fact, count it joy when you face trials of many kind because testing produces perseverance. Now, few of us will actually stand on trial like Paul was, but all of us will face trials in our lives. And in each of those, we have the opportunity to bring glory to Christ. And you know, you know, when somebody is in the greatest trial of their life, it's when people are watching the closest. It just is the thing. And we get to be um, glory bringers in those situations. So if this is what we're supposed to do, it sounds like a pretty big ask, right? How? How are we to bring glory to Christ? Well, he says two things. He says, I know that this will come to pass because of your prayers and because of the provision of the Holy Spirit. Um, and again, these are, are hard things to separate because the Holy Spirit helps believers to pray. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray with groans, and the Holy Spirit himself prays for us. So they're kind of hard to separate out again because they're so entwined. But we're going to look at prayer and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as the key, the great key to being able to do any of this. And uh, prayer is such a, a rich and deep topic. There are so many books written on it, so many kinds of prayers, so many different things that we could look at. And we're just going to look at today um, what they call intercessory prayer, which is prayer on behalf of another. That's all it is. It's praying for somebody else. Um, and we really should be praying for sinners and saints. Those are the two groups of people we're supposed to, to pray for. And this kind of prayer is both a duty and a delight. And it's a duty because Scripture instructs us to do so. Pray for us. Pray for one another. I pray for you. Prayer for one another is something we are instructed to do. It's also something we should do because Jesus did it. When he was here on earth, Jesus did it all the time. And guess what? 
He's still doing it. He's still making intercession for us before the throne of God. So it is our duty. It's also a delight because it produces such a beautiful fruit in us. This is something we are trying to to give to somebody else, but it produces something so profound and so beautiful in us. And when you pray for somebody else, it brings about a generosity and a kindness and a compassion in you. It brings about a unity and a forgiveness and a bonding like no other. Um, Spurgeon says this, and I just love this. If a man is fallen, we rush in like the old Greek hero to rescue and hold our shield over the fallen one, fighting for him till he can get up again. For one of these days, we too may be down, and we will want a brother soldier to cover us from the enemy. And that's what we're doing when we pray for each other. See, I'm going to share now, so that's part of my my considering you. (laughs) Um, this This has been a big year for us. Um, like I said, we had to move my folks. I had to make all those decisions, choose to spend somebody else's money, actually move them, go home, pack up their home like they're never going back again, all those things. My child graduated high school and left me. It's a terrible, (laughs) terrible thing. It's just, you know, it's been a big year. Um, And there have been moments when I've been down, when I have fallen. And there are many of you in this room that have prayed for me, and I know that. But Priscilla, my sweet friend here, will regularly just send me a text of what she's prayed for me today. And I cannot tell you what a gift that is. I cannot. When I feel like I've fallen, and maybe I'm not going to get up again, (laughs) at least for a few minutes, to know that God has seen me and has prompted somebody else to cover me in prayer, fortifies us in a way that you cannot describe. And so let's be the kind of people who pray for each other. Prayer also reminds us that we need God. It's a wonderful thing. It just reminds us of how needy we are. And that's why God keeps saying, come and ask. Come and ask of me because it keeps us dependent and reliant on him. It just reminds us, Dallas Willard, Sean, if you don't mind, um, (laughs) it says, let us never forget the power of the ask. You know, people will go out of their way to avoid someone who's coming to ask them for something. And I know, I know I am not the only person who walks out the wrong door in Walmart and makes a huge loop around the parking lot to avoid the person at this door who's asking for money. I am not the only one. I'm not. You know when that doorbell rings and there's somebody coming to ask you if you want to buy something, what do you do? You freeze. And you drop behind the couch and pretend you're not home. You do it. I know you do it. And if they have seen you because you have a bank of windows next to your front door and you have to answer the door, it's so stressful because they're going to ask you something. And I'm like, do I let them say their whole story before I say, I don't have any carpets in my home? Or do I cut them off and I don't know what's coming? It's so, the power of the ask really is quite dramatic when you think of it like that. But we do not come to the door of someone who's trying to avoid us. 
we come to the door of a gracious, kind, limitless Heavenly Father who is waiting to give us good gifts. That's the door that we come to when we come to ask. And, you know, God is so kind in all of this. Sometimes prayer is confusing. It is for me. Sometimes I'm not really sure all the time how to pray in a situation. But you know what? God is so kind that he's only going to answer the prayers that I would have prayed if I'd known all things. So sometimes unanswered prayers are the greatest gift of all. So we come and we pray audaciously because we know that our God is good and he holds discretionary power for our good in that. And we come, and I think we can pray completely and utterly for a change in circumstances. I think we can. But we can also, without doubt, pray for the advance of the gospel and the glorification of God in that situation. You know, when I look at, at the Philippians, I'm like, it, was, it must have been a little bit confusing for them because the church was birthed in Philippi when Paul was in a jail. He was in jail, and then there was this massive earthquake. He got out of jail, and the jailer was saved. Now he's in another jail. I wonder if they were praying for an earthquake and a release. But what happened? God kept him in that jail for years so that the guards would be saved. You see what, what it doesn't actually matter how it works out. The jailer was saved, the guards, guards are saved, and that's Paul's greatest delight. And so that gives us great confidence. Sometimes we're like, I don't understand why this isn't working out like this or why this is different than that. But God knows, and he is working things for the advance of his gospel. You know, and one other little thing about prayer, it doesn't have to be this big, huge um, undertaking. We need to learn to catch those little thoughts that fly through our head. This, this week, I was driving in the car, taking the kids to school. You know, there's like a million things going on. And I just thought, wow, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. I'll just pray. I, and I'm, I knew some things. I knew it was the end of her pregnancy. I knew all of those things were happening. As it turns out, that very day she'd gone into labor. I didn't know. And it was a long and protracted and difficult time. It ended, everybody's okay. But I texted her that morning. And at the end of that, she looks back and says, wow, God, you saw me. You knew what this day was going to look like, and you had stirred somebody else to pray for me. And that stirs me, because when those thoughts fly through my head, I wonder how so-and-so is. Let's not just let that pass. Let's respond to that as the prompting of the Holy Spirit and say, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to shoot you a quick, quick text, because that is what family does. So he says, this is, how we, this is how we do this, by prayer and by the power of the Spirit. Packer says that the Christian life in all its aspects, intellectual, ethical, devotional, relational, in any upsurging of worship, in any outgoing of witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate it and sustain it. We cannot do this without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why we keep trying. You'd think by now we might have learned, but we cannot do this. We have a friend who says something, and it's actually, it's settled down inside of me somewhere. And he says, when you walk into the room, the odds change. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. That room is different because you walked into it. 
The odds have changed because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that you carry. Um, the Holy Spirit is our great helper. He's our great helper. I'm just going to... Francis Chan has a book called The Forgotten God, which he, he just... He does... I'm just going to list because we, I don't want to run out of time. The Holy Spirit helps us to speak, to remember, to witness, to experience the intimacy of our adoption, to bear fruit, to have hope, to use gifts for the common good, to be convicted of sin. That is what the Holy Spirit helps us to do. We simply cannot do this alone. Ben, do you want to just come on up? I just, I'm sure some of you have heard this story, but I think it just um, is such a great example of this. Um, this week in Dallas, there was, the shooting didn't happen this week, but there was a sentencing that happened this week. And there was a young police officer who got off work, and she was going home. Into, she went, lived in a multi-level um, apartment block in downtown, and she got home, opened her door, and found a man in her apartment. And she panicked. She still had her gun on her. She was just getting off duty. She panicked, and she shot him. She killed him. What had actually happened is that she got off on the wrong floor and walked into somebody else's apartment and shot him dead in his own home. Such a tragedy. Such a tragedy. She, she stood trial, she was convicted, she was sentenced. And at the sentencing, the family is allowed to, to make a statement or address her. And the man who was killed, his younger brother, 18, 18 years old, says, I'm just going to try and get through this. And he looks at her and he says, I forgive you. I wish nothing but the best for you. I love you as a fellow human being. I personally wish you didn't have to go to jail. And my deepest desire is that you would give your life to Christ. This is how he addresses the woman who has shot his, her, his brother. Then he looks at the judge and he says, can I hug her? And there's this pause. I don't think the judge has ever had anybody ask her that. And he says, please, can I hug her? And he gets up, and you see her walking to her. You just see her back, and you hear the sob from the depth of her being. And he just holds her. And he is just speaking the gospel in his greatest trial, in his deepest pain. He was an agent for the advance of the gospel and the glorification of Jesus Christ. And that is not possible without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do that. So Mercy Commons... Let's proclaim his mercy. Let's display his mercy. And by the empowering of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God, let's live lives that make people ask, how did you do that?